Welcome to the Slowing Down for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and each week I'll bring you a new episode on topics that I feel the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart. My hope is that these topics will find you and they will help speak new life into you in whatever season of life you may be in. Let's get started with today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to um, another episode of my podcast. I don't typically do two podcast releases in one day. But um, I think it's time for me to finally share my testimony, which I have been so hesitant on doing um, just because it, it is painful. Um, but I can't preach on this platform and not be able to back up why I believe in the things that I do. So I think it's important for my testimony to finally get out there. I need to quit fighting the the fear of publishing it. So um, long story short, my testimony begins with an event in my life that I very, very vaguely remember. Um, Actually, I don't remember the beginning of it at all. I just remember the stories that I was told and how this the stories have led up to where I am today. So where it begins is my biological father was a drug addict and alcoholic and um, he abused my mom. He was constantly in and out of jail. He was um, basically he was always searching for the next high from from my, from my understanding, this is just what I've been told. He was always searching for the next tie. I remember my sister, um, telling me a story about how my mom was, my mom was beaten by him. And one day, I don't remember if it was during the day or at night, but, um, the fighting got so bad one night that my sister hid my brother and I in a closet so that she could run to the neighbor's house to get help. And that story has, it's like it's ingrained into my brain. Um, because when you're a child, your brain, you remember things, whether you want to or not, like they could be subconsciously buried in you. But when a child experiences that level of trauma, it follows them throughout their life. Um, and it, it can follow them in different ways. Like they can, they can go on to become an abuser themselves or the abuse can do what it did to me. And I grew up thinking that a, a boy didn't truly like me unless he was performing some kind of mental abuse on me. I never, um, I could never be in a relationship with a guy unless I was being treated bad because I I thought that being treated good was really weird. I thought that if a guy treated me good, that I had no business being with him because I didn't feel like I was worth being treated well. But to backtrack, um, I moved to Ohio from Florida. Um, I was three years old. And, um, I think we might've moved in with my grandparents and that's where like my, um, my 
walk of faith had begun because they were such, um, just such strong believers and they really helped shape me into the person that I am today. But I was very, very regularly involved in church. Um, I wasn't necessarily raised in a bad home by any means. Like I, I didn't go without food. I never went without shelter. I never went without feeling love. Like I never questioned if I was loved. Um, my mom did and still to this day does the absolute best that she can do. But um, I grew up with my stepdad around, but my biological father, before he passed away when I was 12, he was constantly in and out of our lives. I remember a lot of the time um, getting phone calls that my dad was back in town and my dad was the kind of guy who um, he'd show up and then leave without saying goodbye. And we never knew where he was going or what he was doing. He just left. And my mom was always left with having to repair broken hearts after our dad just up and decided to walk, walk away again. And he did this so much. I mean, he did it so much. Um, and I guess that's what, that, I guess that's what drugs can do to you. Like you don't realize how much you're hurting those around you. And, um, I have so many, I don't want to say I have so many memories of him because I, I truly do not, but, um, the memories that I do have of him, they're good. Um, I never, I never once when I was around him felt like I was in danger by any means, but, um, yeah, he was in and out of my life, more out of my life than in my life. And I remember kind of fast forward, um, on December 27th of 2012, my, my aunt called my mom and I didn't recognize her voice when she called, but I just remember her saying is, and insert my mom's name, is she home? And I handed my mom the phone and I kind of remember her reaction, like getting like a blank stare. And just going into like almost shock. And she walked out the house. She walked out the front door. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what is going on? And she was on the phone for what felt like an eternity. Um, and this, this feeling came over me. When she came inside, she just had the most distraught look on her face. And I can't imagine having to tell your child that their mom or dad is, or their mom or um, dad has died because she came back in that front door and she goes, Jamie, you know, your dad. And I said, yes. And she goes, he died. And as a 12 year old, you don't really understand the concept of death. So I kind of looked at her and I just said, oh, okay. And I walked away and I went upstairs and I started crying. And it didn't really dawn on me. Like, I mean, I was mourning the, the, the loss of a, a father, but not in a sense that a 12-year-old could fully grasp. Um, 
and it was about three years of, I think, of just, like, trying to really come to terms with the fact that I was never going to talk to my dad again, and I was never going to see my dad again, and it was about when I was roughly 14, 14 or 15, um, is when I finally came to the realization that, that he was gone, and I was finally starting to understand what the death of a parent meant, and it was then that I got involved in a group of friends that was not good. Um, it was around then that I was truly trying to fit in. I, I wasn't popular by any means. I, I had people who wanted to beat me up that I'd never even heard their name before. And I didn't, I genuinely did not know why I was not a liked, I was not a very well liked teenager. And to this day, I think I have an idea why, but it doesn't make any sense to me still. (laughs) I'm learning how to accept it. It is what it is. But, um, I remember I was up at, uh, I was at a friend's house one day and this friend, she went down the same path of destruction that I did. We went hand in hand down this path of destruction and she had a boyfriend at the time who was way too old to be dating her, but he was, um, he was one of those guys that was, um, if you remember back in the 2000s, how like the scene, scene kids, emo kids, like that was the, that was popular. And he was what we would consider an emo, an emo person. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, why do you have all those wristbands on your hand? And they were like those sweatbands. Um, and he pulled them off and he showed me and he showed me the cuts that he had on his wrists. And I was in so much pain, like so much mental anguish that I didn't even realize that I had in me. And it was in that moment that Satan found his entry into my life. And I remember this feeling coming over me because I wasn't close with God by any means. So Satan had full, he had a full entrance and I said, I want to try that. I want to, I want to see how that feels. So he gave me his knife and he showed me how to cut my wrist for the first time. The thing is, I wasn't doing it to try to, to commit suicide by any means, but I started doing it as a way to channel the pain that I had inside of me to feel that pain on the outside to try to release that pain. But the only thing it did was lead me onto a path of pure self-destruction. And the cutting, I mean, it got so bad. I mean, so bad. Um, I remember waking my mom up one night and showing her my wrist because in the middle of the night, like I would go out and get scissors out of their kitchen and I would just start cutting my wrists because I was, I was hurting. I was hurting so bad. And it was like, I was screaming at the top of my lungs metaphorically for someone to help me, but I wasn't getting the help that I needed. Um, as a teenager, you really think that nobody understands what you're going through when in reality, 
there are so many people out there that are willing to just to pick you up and hold you and tell you that it's going to be okay. But I just, I remember that so vividly, waking my mom up in the middle of the night and showing her the destruction that I had put onto my body. And I don't know if she was just in shock that it was happening or, or what, but she took all the knives and all the scissors that were in the house and she hid them. And I think I got more angry. I just felt like my voice wasn't being heard. My cries weren't, they weren't being heard. Um, and I remember, I think it was that summer actually, um, I entered a relationship my ninth grade year with a boy that I had met down at the park. And that is when I discovered, um, and mom, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I was, um, led into temptation of sleeping with him and I had never been with anybody before. So I didn't know what I was doing. I just remember one day it just happened and as soon as it happened, I remember crying. I was so ashamed of myself. I felt disgusting. And there was no amount of of saying sorry that that he could do that was going to make me feel better. But it was after that that I just went down a path of thinking that I just... I needed that constant connection with with a boy to feel worthy of love um, because I didn't have Jesus in my heart. Um, Now, I need to backtrack because being raised by a godly mother and by um, Christian grandparents, I did accept Jesus as my Savior when I was seven years old on my babysitter's front porch. Um, she also had a huge, huge part of who I was growing up, but I was a rebellious kid. I was a rebellious teenager. Um, and it wasn't until I was, I was 20 years old. So I went down a path of pure destruction, playing with Ouija boards, um, literally, literally forming seance circles, um, and salt rings and pentagrams to try to summon something from a realm that I didn't know. I didn't really know how dark this realm was, but in reality, I was, I remember trying to summon my dad and I remember I just wanted to talk to him. I wanted to talk to him so bad, but I didn't realize that the spirits that I was summoning were demons and very, very dark entities. And because I was in the mental state that I was in, they, like I said earlier, they had a wide open door into my mind. And um, fast forwarding into my 20s, I got married. Um, I got married when I was 20. I was 21 and I 
10 out of 10, do not recommend ever doing that. Um, but I married someone in the military and I think I jumped on it as quickly as I did because I'd known him from high school. We used to be really, really good friends and I was in love with the idea of being married so much so that it it happened so fast. I was dating him for a little while and he was getting ready to be deployed. He asked me to marry him over the phone and I said yes. And I was just, I was so gung-ho. I was so happy. I got to plan a wedding. I got to be a princess. And um, when I turned 21, we got married. Um, and I, I moved down to Florida with him a few months after we got married. And he was not a godly man by any means. I had no business being with him. But living in Florida was the biggest blessing, yet the worst thing that I could have ever done for myself. Um, my ex-husband was an alcoholic. He was mentally abusive. Um, I remember multiple nights where I would just sit out on my balcony and just cry because of how he treated me. I mean, I was being treated like filth. And I felt like I had no way out because I entered that marriage with absolute zero intentions of ever breaking those vows. I had never lived with a guy prior to him. I might have slept with a guy prior to him, but I had never lived with a guy prior to him. Um, That was one thing where my faith stood very firm. I was not going to move in with a guy until I was married. Um, but through him, through my ex-husband and living in Florida, I, I met some of the most amazing people and they're still friends with me to this day, but I wasn't actively involved in a church when I was down there. I didn't have godly friends. I barely knew how to make friends unless they were in the military And, um, I remember one night I was just on this, I don't even, I don't even, I wasn't even a path of destruction really, but, um, my ex-husband and I, I I guess I, I really would consider us at that time. We were both alcoholics. Um, we loved going to the beach bars. We loved having parties. We loved drinking. I used to go across the street in the apartment complex that we lived in. I used to go across the street every day and get two cans of hard cider, or I would go through an entire bottle, like big bottle of barefoot wine and not think anything of it. You should not be able to drink an entire big bottle of wine and not feel hardly anything. I went through moments of sobriety in that marriage. Um, I went through an addiction to narcotics. Um, I had injured my back on a scooter while I lived down there. And um, my dad was also, he was a heavy narcotic abuser as well. But um, the way that my dad passed away was, it was an accidental overdose. Um, But 
I went through a period of being an alcoholic. I was addicted to narcotics and um, I didn't realize that I was addicted to them until it kind of dawned on me that every time my back was hurting or every time something was hurting, I was going to the hospital and I was seeking out Percocets. And I never understood why they weren't giving me any. I'm like, I'm in pain. I, I need the medication. Um, so I would always get frustrated when they would send me home and say, you need to take ibuprofen. But um, in that time span of 21 to 25 years old, my ex-husband had cheated on me. He, he never laid a hand on me. So I will, I will never say that he laid a hand on me, but he, he caused me a lot of mental anguish and turmoil. And, um, in some of my, in one of my posts, I talk about biblical reasons for a divorce. And, um, the very last straw with my ex-husband cheating on me, I remember I was at um, a nail salon with my friend. And this had happened to me a couple of times, but I'd never really paid too much attention to it because I would confront my ex-husband about it and I would ask him, you know, if this person, I don't know who they are, they were texting me from um, a texting app. And I would ask him, I'm like, is this true? Like, did you actually cheat on me? And actually a couple of times I found him on dating websites like huge red flags, but because I wasn't actively involved in the Bible, I didn't have grounds for divorce in my eyes. Um, I was threatened to divorce him if we ever got into a fight, but that's because I didn't understand the sanctity behind marriage. Like I didn't understand how serious that covenant was. And it was the last time that I had caught him, that I found out he was cheating, sitting in a nail salon, and I got a text from somebody saying, I just want you to know your husband is having an affair. But that time it was different. It was, it was so different because I was sitting there and all of a sudden every nerve in my body started like going haywire. And I felt so numb. Like the pins and needles that you get um, in your feet or in your legs, if you're sitting down for too long, it was that feeling that went over my body for a solid hour. And I just, I was so silent for that hour. And I feel terrible for the nail tech because I didn't even, I wouldn't talk to her. I couldn't, I was, I was speechless. I was frozen. Any other time I probably would have gotten up and left, but for some reason I was so caught off guard by this one and when I left the nail salon I remember calling my ex-husband and asking him I said did you have an affair and there was a brief moment of silence and he said yes and I'm like but when and um the company that I worked for when I lived down there one of the Christmas presents for us was a, um, a trip to the Bahamas, a cruise to the Bahamas. Unfortunately, spouses could not go with us. But he said that it was while I was on my cruise to the Bahamas, he had his mistress <laughs> spend the night in our home. And she slept in our bed. And I just, I was 
I was so speechless because I had forgiven him so many times and I had tried to build that trust up so many times. But you can only build trust up with someone so many times before that trust is just gone. It can't be rebuilt. The thing is, is I tried. I fought for our marriage. I went, I put myself through marriage counseling. I thought I was the problem. And I very well could have been. I mean, we all have areas that we need to, that we need to work on as, as Christians, as humans in general. Nobody's perfect. But the whole time, I thought I was the problem. And I remember him asking me, because I told him, like, I can't rebuild the trust anymore. And he goes, so what do you want to do now? And I think I was just like, I was in such shock. All I said was, I want a divorce. And instead of trying to fight for me, he said, okay, let's get a divorce. And that crushed me to think that I wasn't worth fighting for. My husband, who vowed to love me, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, he was ready to throw me away. And even though I had said that, you know, I'm like, I I want a divorce, I think I struggled with that because I was stuck down in Florida for a few months trying to get my life together for the fact that My life was literally turning around on me. Everything that I thought I knew, I I didn't know anymore. And um, I was just crying out, like, God, I don't have biblical grounds to divorce him. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, I need you. I need your help. And that's when I was um, pointed to a, a verse in the Bible about the grounds for divorce that are acceptable in God's eyes. And when I found out that adultery was a, was one of those grounds, I was still obviously very, very hurt, but I was more at peace with the decision that I had made to leave him. And um, I, you know, I, I came to terms with it. Everything was all said and done. I before I even left, though, before I even left Florida, I, I think I was just, I was more scared of being alone because I had been married for almost four years that I entered a relationship with a man, um, completely unintentionally. I remember reaching out to him one day because he had been divorced too. And I wanted to get Um, I wanted to get advice from somebody who had felt the kind of pain that I was experiencing. And I, I'm still trying to learn how to forgive this guy for what he did to me. Because if you have ever been divorced, then you know that the last thing you need to be doing is entering another relationship. And I feel that he completely unintentionally took advantage of the fact that I was about to be single. Um, and he, he was right there for me. I mean, he had his arms wide open, like, and I, I entered a relationship with him 
and I had no business entering a relationship with him. I moved home. I was excited to be with him. He treated me good. He, I thought that he treated me good. Um, in his eyes, he treated me good. But in reality, what he was doing was suffocating me. And I was in a relationship with him for almost a year. And I remember um, there, was, there were a, a series of events that had happened and unfolded when I was with him that led up to him becoming homeless. I, I literally drained out my bank account trying to help him. But the only thing I was actually draining was myself. I wasn't, I, I never took the time to really cope with the fact that I was divorced. And um, when I left him, when I finally came to terms with leaving him, granted, we were engaged. I was getting ready to marry him. And I, oh my goodness, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I dodged that bullet. But um, when I left him, I was, I was ready to finally just be single. I was ready to work on myself, to fill my cup back up. But I wasn't filling it up in the right ways. Like I was still dating around. I was just trying to just, you know, take care of, take care of myself. And it was when I was trying to take care of myself that my now husband stepped in. And he didn't step in in a way that um, he was trying to find a relationship or anything like that. We were just, we were friends. We had had the same group of friends in high school and um he stepped in we had we were together for quite a while we weren't married like i said i was <laughs> i was on a path of destruction up until quite recently that's why i've i've been so hesitant on sharing my testimony because i'm now 30 minutes into this podcast but now i'm getting i'm getting into the starting to get into the light I'm um, starting to see where the light came in and God, um, he blessed me with something that I never thought I would have. And, um, and in 2018, my first, my first son was born. My, my baby boy was born and he has been, he's been the light of my life. Um, my husband, my now husband, um, was about maybe, not even, it wasn't even a year. It might have been about six months after my son was born. Um, my husband proposed to me. And, you know, we were we were living together. We had a kid together. I I wanted to be, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. So, you know, I, I said yes. But thank goodness he has such a patient heart. He really does. He has some areas of his life that he's got to work on and he has been working on them. But I can't even begin to tell you how many times I broke off our engagement or I tried to leave him or I just, I said, you know, we're not equally yoked and we weren't, we weren't equally yoked. And, um, during COVID, um, we found out we were pregnant with our second child, our, our baby girl. And I mean, I had gone through postpartum and just everything. And 
my husband stuck through, stuck by my side through it all. I mean, he, he's my rock. I mean, obviously God's my rock first, but, um, my husband never gave up on me. He never gave up on me despite everything that I had put him through and everything that he had put me through. I never gave up on him and he never gave up on me. Um, but, um, if he, if you, honey, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry that I'm about to just put this on blast, but, um, up until, well, it's been about two months. My husband was an alcoholic and, um, there had been a few outbursts and finally, this has only been about two and a half months ago, um, he, we got into such a bad fight over, and it was over his drinking, that I finally had to just lay it down in front of him, let go of the alcohol, or we're done, I'm leaving you. Because at this point, I had biblical grounds to divorce him. And I, I was ready to, to do it. And I think once he realized that he was about to lose his family, he stopped drinking. And, of course, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was still on edge at first because he had been drinking for so long. But I had a friend um, tell me that... Sometimes you cry out to God to change someone's heart and it doesn't happen and you don't understand why. So maybe you need to change your perspective and stop asking God to change their heart and ask God to change your heart. And he did. God changed my heart. My husband stopped drinking I might have an occasional glass of wine or two when I go to my sister's house, but we don't keep alcohol in the house anymore. So in a way, I would consider myself a recovering alcoholic. Um, I can't say that I'm sober because if I go to my sister's house and have a couple glasses of wine, then, you know, I'm, I'm not sober, but I'm, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I don't crave alcohol. I can barely have a glass of wine and I'm ready to fall asleep. And I used to be able to go through an entire bottle. Um, but I had been prior to letting go of, um, the alcohol and everything like that. I had been, um, trying to create a podcast and the platform that I was trying to build, it just wasn't coming naturally to me. Um, I wanted all these podcast names were, were coming to mind, but they just seemed so original, like coffee and Jesus or the God fearing mom or just things like that. None of them just, they, they just, I didn't like them. So I gave up, gave up on trying to create the podcast and it was just so sporadic one morning sitting down drinking coffee and it was like an audible voice on my heart said slowing down for Christ podcast. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's it. That's what I'm going to name it. And fast forward to where I am today. I am actually speaking 
speaking with a couple of book publishers um, about potentially re- releasing a um, devotional. I am talking with my church about entering um, prison ministry. I used to work in a prison, so I felt God place it on my heart to go back and serve them, but serving them in a different way. Um, and just seeing how this platform has transformed in, I want to say it's been about two, not even two months, because I'm, yeah, it might be about two months, seeing how much God has transformed my heart since I decided to listen to him, to really dive in and truly listen to him has been nothing short of a miracle. Because I have a friend who has told me, Jamie, you have a gift. And you, that gift is, you know how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And you know how to let him speak through you. But what's so incredible is that with this podcast that you're doing and this Instagram page and just this platform that you're building... I have never once heard you talk about how much money you'd like to make doing this. And that put a lump in my throat when I heard that because it's true. I have never once made a post, never once made a podcast episode. I've never once spoken to anybody about this, wondering how much money I'm going to make because I don't care. excuse me, I genuinely don't care how much money this brings in or if it ever does because this is my outlet. This is my way of spreading God's word and getting through to someone who was like me, was on the brink of destruction, had suicidal thoughts, thoughts, was an alcoholic, came from um, a broken family. When I say broken family, I mean like a a divorced mom and dad. Um, it's, It's been so amazing to just watch this transformation unfold. So when I tell people that I will not speak about something unless the Holy Spirit either places it on my heart or I have personally been through it. It doesn't go onto my podcast. And it will not go onto my page. So please believe me when I tell you. That what I'm saying when I record these. It's true. It's so true. I have had so many times. Recording these podcasts. Where I will sit down. And I'll kind of quickly think of something and like I'll have biblical truth behind it, like verses and everything that I want to talk about, but I'll start recording them and my words get all messed up and I'll do it a few times and this has happened quite frequently actually, but I'll do it a few times and my words will get all messed up and then I stop and I'm like, this isn't what you're supposed to be talking about. You're trying to force this and you made a promise to yourself That you would never force anything. That you would let it come out naturally. And that's what I do. Everything that I say is natural. It's not forced. 
I'm not being coaxed by anyone other than the Holy Spirit. So with these podcasts, my my hope, my ultimate hope is that I'm reaching someone who needs God the way that I did when I was a teenager and a young adult who was on the brink of destruction. And if that person finds this, please reach out to me and tell me, please, I want to hear your story. Um, that, that wraps up my testimony. And I really, if you listen to it all the way through, thank you. I, I really appreciate it because this was not easy for me to finally come to terms with and record. So on that note, have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find me on Instagram at Slowing Down for Christ Podcast, where you're welcome to send me prayer requests or just a chat. I hope you have a great week.